Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome into another edition, episode 110 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast Mechanical Breakdown Series. Today, volume 35, Gold Edition number two. Breaking down the swing of legendary hitter, one of the best, if not the best, contact hitter of all time, Tony Gwynn. 35, 34, 35 breakdowns in FN. We're finally getting around to doing Tony Gwynn, which to me is kind of incredible. We've got Mike Piazza coming up down the line as well, Mike Trout, but today we are solely focused on one Tony Gwynn. So be sure to subscribe to the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. Gotta throw that out there because that is the place where you can actually watch us do the breakdown and watch us do the show. I would really appreciate if you did subscribe to the YouTube page and of course Apple, Google, Spotify and leave a review. Now that's out of the way. Let me bring in professional evaluator, successful business owner, former coach, friend and co-host Jake Epstein, white hat Jake. What's up there? Yeah, I'm a good guy today. Usually, you know, I've I'm in here with my alter ego. So, no, good to be here. Excited. I, I actually did a little more research on Tony Gwynn mm-hmm. as well with his swing and looking at a couple different ones and things I didn't know. So, mm-hmm. uh, it'll be interesting to kind of break that down based on what we see with today's hitters and all the information that's out there today versus what he did and maybe why his results were the way they were. Speaking of today's hitters, I was going down, preparing for this show last night. I was going down the YouTube rabbit hole, looking at Mm -hmm. Tony Gwynn's swing. I had a chance to watch the Padre, a game in 1998 at Veterans Stadium between the Padres and the Phillies. Mind you, Tony Gwynn was not in the lineup that day. I think he was getting a day Mm -hmm. off. But I talked about last week what Tony Gwynn would think. I posed the question, what would Tony Gwynn think about today's players? He surely would be disappointed in Fernando Tatis Jr. as everybody is. Nevertheless, with all the flair, the athleticism of today's players, I was watching that game last night from 1998. Paul Bird was on the mound, one of my favorite players of Mm -hmm. all time, believe it or not. I'll get to that in a second. But he was pitching, and I was looking at guys like Ken Caminetti, and I was looking at Scott Rowland, Rico Bronia. Whether they were on PEDs or not, Anybody on the field back in that era, they were very big. They were big guys. Their bone composition, mm-hmm. body composition, yeah. they were big guys. My, one of my other favorite players, Paul O'Neill, he was a what you would call yeah. in scouting a lanky guy, right? Yeah. He was also, though, a pretty big guy with good body composition. And I got to thinking last week, talking about the athleticism and the flair of today's players. Back then, the players were so huge. I got to tell you, I think it's just a cycle of the game that baseball has gone through and is going through now with the supreme athleticism that I I think that's kind of what Tony Gwynn and what some ex-players would say about today's game is that this game, baseball, just kind of goes through cycles with how guys look and unfortunately with how guys play as it were now in 2022. But... I think guys back then looked a lot different than they do now, but they're more athletic than they were, and it's just kind of going through a cycle. Yeah, I mean, I think these guys are such elite athletes. They're they're Mm -hmm. huge. Like, I don't think people realize how big everyone really is, except for maybe one or two guys on the field. They're they're just massive people. They're tight ends. They're Mm -hmm. they're athletic. They're shooting forward. You know, they're they're big and they're fast and they're you know. They're, they're strong. And I, I mean, I go back and like, I like the Cam and I'm like, he's kind of stocky. Yeah. Like you, I, I didn't think he, he wasn't like, I met him 
multiple times. And the one thing that stood out was the fact that his wrist and his bicep were the same size. Like he just had these massive, like forearms that just kind of went from hand all the way up. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't six, three or six, two or six, one, you know, and yes, they, they had PEDs, but I feel like, I feel like guys today, I mean, you look at, you know, maybe a, um, Juan Gonzalez, right? Like that was kind of a freak body. That was a steroid body for sure. And but yeah, but, I mean, then, but you look at Paul O'Neill, Scott Rowland, Rico Bronia. Yeah. Those yeah. guys weren't on PEDs as far as we no, know. But they were just big guys. But they were just big guys. But they weren't in shape like the big guys are today. Well, I, I will I will counter that and say they were in different shape. They, they were, were in more, different more shape. bodybuilder yeah. type shape than yeah. They, guys they today. weren't as as massive and weren't yeah. as mobile. And, they're not as mobile. No, they were baseball guys athletes you know it's um it would be so yeah i think the game's different i saw a ball tony gwen hit you know i was looking at video as well and he hit this high fly ball to right field that Mm -hmm. you know it was it was 385 in right center where he hit it and it hit the warning track and i'm like that's out of most ballparks today 385 to right center like that's in the seats right and it was just such a different game i was like god look how big the outfield is like these guys are really running after this ball they can't they can't catch up to it Right. And you hardly ever see balls in the gap that are fly balls that make it to the gap. You know, the, the, their line drives because it's 368 to the right center or wherever, where it, wherever it is. So I don't know. It was, it was just funny. It was just a different game. It was a bigger ballpark. Um, you know, I don't know. The athletes were different. His mindset was different, you know, when you hear him talk about things, but obviously we'll get into that later. Yeah. I was so you know, watching that game last night. It, it, reminded me and i was reminiscing a little bit paul burr why is he one of my favorite players of all time he came up with the phillies and so i don't know if it was in his second year maybe his third year right after it was a year after he made the all-star team my parents had um multiple homes in new jersey the jersey shore as it were i I call it the beach because now i live in champa bay but anyway uh one of the homes that they owned at that time it was next door to the chaplain of Major League Baseball, and he worked directly with the Phillies. His name was Vince Noss. Your father might actually know him, but we'll talk about that some other time. And um, Vince said, yeah, you know, he's telling my dad that Paul Bird is coming down for the All-Star break. I think it was like Monday, Tuesday, and I don't know, maybe Wednesday. He's going to come down, and he's going to go to the beach. And so one day I get it, but, but he told my dad, don't, you know, don't tell Jim because you're Jimmy, as it were, because I don't want to get his hopes up. And so anyway, so um, uh, fast forward to I forget what day it was, but we get a knock on the door and it's Vince. And he says, is Jimmy home? I want to introduce him to somebody. Jimmy being me, of course. And because uh, my father's name is Jim, for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I got introduced to Paul Bird and he was like the nicest guy ever. He was really mm, cool. cool. Very, very cool. I know he was close with Vince. And they talked a lot about life and religion and God, mm-hmm. kind of like what we do on a daily basis, just without the life, religion, and God part. And so, anyway, he, um, they were talking, and we got to talking, Paul and I, and it was like a three-way conversation. Um, and it was really great. And from there on, Paul Bird was one of my favorite players of all time. Rico Bronia was also another favorite of mine, first baseman for the Phillies, later the Diamondbacks. You remember Rico Barone. Yeah. I met him as a scout five years ago when he was scouting for the Angels. Yes. Huh. 
Mm-hmm. And I told him he was one of my favorite players. Paul O'Neill was my other favorite player. I had three favorite players of baseball. Yeah. But I have a beef, to pick, a bone to pick with, with Paul O'Neill. We've got a beef because I sent him a baseball card and a letter when I was a kid hoping to get it signed. And I didn't get it signed, nor did I get the card returned. So I would, mm-hmm. Paul, I'd like that card back. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. And when I see him in spring training sometime, one day we're going to run into each other. I'm going to remind him of this story. In fact, maybe I'll remind his broadcast partner, Michael Kay. Because I've seen Michael Kay numerous times. But yes, I have three favorite baseball players growing up and one from other sports. Troy Aikman is my favorite football player. Tracy McGrady, favorite basketball player. Mark Messier, favorite hockey player. Nevertheless, though, that was my Paul Bird story. Even Paul Bird, by the way, was very big. Even though he wasn't a big guy in stature, he was was a pretty big guy. I remember meeting him back then, and my father even said it to me. He's like, you better keep drinking your milk because you look how big Paul Bird is. If you want to play baseball, you got to be big like that. He'd said that in his New York accent. I like your dad's impersonation there. It wasn't very good. good. That was good. Um, So anyway, yeah, I just was watching that last night. And uh, see, this is why people have to subscribe to the YouTube page because we laugh at each other and chuckle, but you can't really hear it on the audio side. And you can see the disgust in our in our facial. You see, you see all of our facial expressions and our laughs and our smiles. No, I I get it. Like, I my favorite player was Jose Canseco because I met him, and he was the coolest dude for me ever. He took pictures with me and my buddies out on the field. And I was like, this is the greatest guy in the world. And then, yeah. you know, I see pictures, things that he does now, and I just shake my head. But Can I tell those you experiences that... you have with people, they, they stick. Can I tell you that when I met Rico Peronia, that was that that moment, it made my week. I remember the exact ballpark I was in when I met him and he was scouting for the Angels. He had, he had yeah. a question for me about yeah. uh, some roster thing. And I had to you know, inform him. And I, I introduced myself and I didn't know who he was. Cause I didn't remember what he looked like. And he said, Hey, how you doing? I'm Rico. I said, wait a minute, Rico Bronia. He goes, yeah. And I go, Oh my God. Okay. Sit down. We got some things to talk about. Come on, cool. We got to talk. So then we talked for like a half hour. Yeah. Favorite player. One of my favorite players growing up. He's a good first baseman too. Yeah. I got to ask you a question. So, uh, uh, I was thinking about Patrick Corbin over the over the week, and you know, I was watching his last start against the Phillies, and he was basically throwing batting practice. I feel bad for the kid, and I I thought about you. Now, for people who don't know, I lived in the DMV area for two years, and so I got a lot of opportunity to watch the Nationals when they were really really good. I mean, they had like the Z Man, right? Ryan Zimmerman, yeah. Bryce Harper, Jason Worth, Jay Worth, as it were, as they called him in DC. Mm-hmm. And uh, Max, of course, Scherzer, Strasburg, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I remember, you know, um, I became kind of a pseudo Nats fan because that's all people talked about in D.C. along with the Capitals. By the way, Washington D.C. sports town. It's a it's a hockey town. Just to clarify with everybody, people don't know that. But I, you know, Grant and Danny on one hundred six seven, the fan, they'd always talk about the nationals every day right and i was rooting for him in 2019 to win the world series and a big cog in that world series uh, in that rotation was patrick corbin he did really really well right he came in yeah. relief he was starting all of a sudden here we are 2022 and he can't pitch he just can't throw anymore i don't understand why i'm trying to figure it out um and he's working with his pitching coach and and but it got me thinking i thought of you and i said okay this guy mentally just doesn't have it right now 
I mean, and, and if he does, then, I mean, he's sort of sociopathic because he can't have these, this stretch of two years where he's struggling constantly mm -hmm. and still have the same confidence that he did in 2019. I got to thinking, well, I wonder what Epp would say about a hitter to a hitter when they're struggling this bad. And I mean, when you're struggling that bad as a hitter, it's even worse because this is a game of failure when it comes to hitting. What would you tell a guy if he was struggling like maybe not the length of Corbin, but struggling like a Corbin on the hitting side to try to get that person, whether it be male or female baseball, softball back on track? Well, I think of uh, Hayward, you know, when he went, good, went to good the, I mean, this guy was yeah. so good yeah. for, you know, for the, he came up with Atlanta, right? And mm -hmm. then just, I mean, talk about a career that just nosedived, you right. know, like this guy was on top of the world. Was he just hot for that many years? Or did, did something, you know, the game caught up to him. I guess that's probably the best way to say it. And he tried everything. I mean, he had one of the worst mechanical swings I uh, maybe in Major League Baseball. Um, so I think what happened was his ability ran out. Like, he was pretty good for a decent amount of time with that swing. And then, like I said, the pitchers figured it out. The game caught up to him, and he couldn't. His timing window was so small. Um, it was a very, very unique swing. That would be an interesting uh, swing breakdown. Um but I remember doing it for actually a couple of teams that were interested in signing him um, from Atlanta. And pretty much my report was I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't touch him with, you know, with your hands, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even be in the same room, you know, signing somebody with, with those kind of mechanical issues. So, but super athletic guy plays great defense and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, with, with Corbin, it's, yeah, it's, likely mental he probably gets the ball in his hand and it just doesn't feel like the ball you know he, he it just that mound does not feel like a safe place he's he's thinking about every single pitch and he's probably thinking about his release point he's thinking about his rhythm so um, you know you can go to mechanics but mechanics at that age aren't really going to change that much you might be able to change your delivery but you know how you release the ball is going to be very difficult as a hitter how you you know launch the extension i remember hayward tried to do it he tried to build in rhythm because he was a very late stepper um, which we might see with Tony Gwynn, but he was a very late late strider. He almost would stride and swing at the same time. And so he tried to build some rhythm and stand up a little bit and, and uh, you know, be more fluid. And it, it kind of looked good in the off season. and he tried it in spring training, and then, boom, he went straight back to, you know, what he was comfortable with. And, you know, Burns, if he's trying to make a mechanical adjustment, that's very, very difficult, you know, at the point of his career. But, yes, what would I do? Um try to get to a safe space and build confidence. I'd, I'd probably throw him out of the, the bullpen, you know, long relief guy, something like that. What would you do with and a hitter then, though in that situation? What would I do with a hitter? It, it would be kind of similar. I'd, I'd bump yeah. them down in the lineup. I'd maybe give them some rehab starts, you know, send them down a little bit, get some confidence, feel good, come up, put them in good situations. Maybe not against number one and number two starters. Mm -hmm. um, maybe removing him before they get to, you know, a, a nasty matchup, uh, you know, give him maybe one or two at bats uh, against some, lambs you know if you will when they're hitting just to try to get your feet wet and get your confidence up and then continue to build on that but it would be a conversation process it would be you know what, what are we thinking about here i'm sure he's seen sports psychologists i'm sure he's gone through every single coach and you know that that has that kind of mindset in the organization to help him um and as a hitter you would just kind of go through that same thing and then if it doesn't work you're like you know what you made a few million bucks go enjoy your life enjoy your kids you know have a yeah. Like, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You got a ring. Right. Yeah. 
And you're a big, big key to that 2019 rotation. I, I'm thinking about Hayward, and you brought up a great point there. His mechanics are just terrible. They still are to this day. He's a great leader. Yeah. He's probably going to be a good coach if he chooses to yeah. do that, although he's made a lot of money, so maybe not. But well, yeah. super, super athletic. But I'm thinking back to that first bat he had. Was it against Zambrano at Turner Field against the Cubs? And he hit that home run on yeah. the, on the in his first bat. I don't remember what yeah. pitch it was on. His swing plane was better then than it is now. So what I'm trying to say is that his swing yeah. plane has progressively gotten worse as his career has continued to evolve, which yeah. to me doesn't make any sense, but it's baseball. It's stupid. Could be his posture <laughs> or something like that. I mean, he's Could always be. been the most level flat to down swinger. Yeah. You know, he's always had that, mm -hmm. but it's just, a, it's a step in a swing. It's a huge wrist roll. His grip is bad. He loses the barrel early yet. He controls it flat you know so he's kind of a it's you know his wrist his right wrist is really weird and i don't know it's just not a not a fluid move you yeah. know so it, it was tough he's battling uh you know he's he's going uphill all the time because his mechanics yeah. are bad then everything else has to be perfect your pitch selection has to be perfect if you're striding late that makes it tough um you know your anticipation has to be perfect your plan has to be perfect and if one of those things goes wrong in addition to you know having a contact window that's you know maybe only like four or five inches then yeah. you're gonna struggle you're gonna hit you're gonna hit 200. you know what uh you know what offense is struggling right now the yankees a little bit yeah not saying that the sky is falling but i was watching the yankees and the cardinals last sunday in fact good game and uh the yankees out hit the cardinals 15 to 11 ended up losing that game now, to me, that is a telltale sign that the offense that day was very inefficient. Now, what is an efficient offense? We've talked about that on this show before. An efficient offense is if you score more runs than you get hits in an inning. The Yankees are doing the opposite. See, I, I always love when, when announcers or I hear people say, well, that was a good inning. That was a really good inning there from the, from the Guardians. They ended up scoring three runs, the Guardians, using this as an example, three yeah. runs on six hits. That's not an efficient offense to me. That's a bunch of bunch of hits strung together. You scored three runs, but I'd rather you score three runs on three hits, mix in a couple of walks, because if you do that, you're mixing in walks. You're getting maybe getting hit by a pitch. You're hitting for extra bases. You're seeing more pitches. That's an efficient offense, and I think over time, that is what separates – the best offenses in the postseason teams offensively than mm -hmm. the teams that quite frankly sure. aren't going to make the postseason. That's to me what an efficient offense is. And I think that's pro part of the problem right now with the Yankees. I saw it last Sunday. They out again, out hit the Cardinals 15 to 11 and they ended up losing. What was the score? Do you remember? I don't remember the score. It was like, yeah. a, I don't know. The Cardinals, but here's the thing. The Cardinals, I think won by four. Why'd they win by four? Because Nolan Arenado hit a three run home run late efficient yeah. inning. That's where efficient innings lead to. Yep. Gives you that insurance. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's, you know, guys, I mean, that's not a Yankees inning, right? I mean, they hit right. the ball so hard and the ballparks are so small that if you hit a hard ball, it's typically a double, you know, or it's going to go over the fence. So, you know, I, I don't know. I didn't break down the box score. Maybe they beat the shift on a couple. I'm not really thinking that happened. You know, a couple scratched a couple in. Not definitely not hitting with runners in scoring position, um, but you're right. It's it's like being diversified in your retirement portfolio. You know, getting on base without having to get a hit all the time because you're not going to get ten hits a game. You're gonna you got to find a way to to win a game with five hits. You know, how oh. can we do that? You know, a, a, a bloop and a blast or a a, a walk 
or two walks and a blast, something like that. That's kind of where the game is right now because you're not going to get 15 hits in the postseason. Pitching's too good. At least the pitching once you get down to the the last, you know, six teams. Right. Cardinals are a team to be reckoned with. I know there's one team out there. Yeah, that if they were if they were to get in to the postseason, this team. And they were to say be that team that uh, what's the rule now where the last team last seeded team has to go on the road for three games or go on the road for yeah. the best of three. There's one team that I see that could actually beat that. I'm not going to name that team right now. Maybe never. Good comment, then. Jim. I'm going to give everybody. <laughs> give everybody. Way to build that one up. Give everybody a cliffhanger. <laughs> For the rest of their life, which yeah. you're never going to tell them. Maybe I'll reveal it if it actually happens. Okay, there There's you go. one team that I could see. All right, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review. Apple, Google, Spotify. Plenty of material that we've done today that you could leave a review on, like my stupid stories. But leave a review and uh, subscribe to the YouTube page. you got to go to the YouTube page, people. Like, yeah, seriously. The Lab, the lab Epstein the content, the content on there with the voiceovers is... Cool. It's a lot of money. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. You can learn from it. It's like, uh, you know, free hitting information that actually works. Yeah. And if guys, listen, if you don't go to the YouTube page and subscribe, we're just, maybe we'll just stop doing it. I had a, a teacher, a principal in sixth grade, seventh grade. Her name was, I went to Catholic school. Her name was Sister Pat. And yeah, the I class. I remember these two things. I have a photographic memory. So Oh, you do? Okay. I do. She uh which is good and bad. I remember all the mm-hmm. bad moments of my baseball, you know, career. <laughs> that's the same memory that remembers me watching Whose Lines in Anyway when I was fifteen years old. Yeah, right. Games. So Sister Pat, she uh she once threatened and uh, this was in seventh grade. She, we were be, all being bad and uh she threatened all of us and said, Maybe one day I'll just take the keys, lock the door to the school and and that'll be and throw them away and that'll be it. You won't have a school to go to. And I told my parents that my dad laughed because, you know, it's, it's not plausible. You can't really do right, that. Right. You know? That's what this reminds me. This reminds me of That's right. We'll just that. take it away. We'll just take it away. Take it away. Not really. Not really. <laughs> um, also, uh, do me a favor, people, friends, listeners, subscribe to the Softball Strength Academy YouTube page because we have Cassie and I cross functionality. Our ep- video episodes go up there as well. So subscribe to that too. Uh, early plugs had to get them in. Maybe we'll get to your plug later on there, sir. But let's get into Tony Gwynn here. Episode, what are we on now? What episode? One ten. One ten. Yeah, done so many. One ten mechanical breakdown series, volume thirty-five. Tony Gwynn. A couple of facts here I want to uh, quickly give you. With Tony Gwynn, I found a couple of these pretty interesting. Uh, he finished his career. Uh, with a 302 batting average, with two hitting with two strikes. I knew you'd love that. I could see it in your face. How about this one? He batted 415 against Greg Maddox in his career. That was the best among players with at least 70 plate appearances against Greg Maddox. The most I, I like this one too. The most money that he made, uh, salary wise, four million three hundred thousand. In both 1999 and 2000. So the best hitter of all time made a little over what 4.3 million. That's it. So I have a story for you. Oh, I like stories. Please. Yeah, that totally pertains to this. So my okay. dad was 
I don't know what year it was, probably around then. Uh, he was coaching uh, with uh, the Padres, and, and he was having lunch. You know, it was in spring training, so it was in Arizona, and they had lunch, and my dad's sitting with, I don't remember who the hitting coach was, if it was Booker or somebody else, but he's sitting at, you know, having lunch with him and another couple coaches, and then Gwyn sat down, and there's a newspaper because that's what they had back then. And it talked about Juan Gonzalez making like $7 million a year, you know, something yeah. like that. And Gwyn is reading the article and he gets all pissed off after lunch and he slams the newspaper down and says, what a joke. I hit, you know, whatever, 3.30 every single year and I make, you know, half of what this guy's making. This is bullshit. And he storms off and goes. And so the pitching coach looks at, looks at my dad and says, yeah, but Juan Gonzalez drove in 156 runs, like or whatever the number was, and you drove in 80. <laughs> so it was it was like you get paid for production, you know, in yeah. this in this game, and and it's true, you do get paid for production. And um, he was definitely undervalued for for what his stats were, yeah. but even back then in 2000, those you know RBIs and and runs scored were the key, and he was a uh, number three hitter you know he wasn't fast anymore he wasn't a leadoff guy he wasn't stealing bases and he wasn't driving in runs and so that's kind of a bad combination to to make money but a unbelievable hitter and a, and a really good human being as well but you have to think though with tony gwynn he's batting third and you get the mm -hmm. first two guys you probably have ken caminetti batting behind him on most mm -hmm. days greg vaughn yeah right greg vaughn Right, right. Who was the leadoff hit? I don't remember who the leadoff hitter Steve was. Steve Finley. In 98? Probably. Probably. Um, okay, we'll go with Steve Finley. All right, so let's say he was the guy that had some pop, too. So let's say Steve Finley gets on base, right? And then he gets somehow gets the second, probably by a stolen base, because they stole a lot more back then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tony Gwynn is up. Now, okay, it's the bottom of the ninth, or top of the ninth, whatever. Padres tie game or the Padres, Padres are down by one. I don't buy into this, the analytical crowd when they say that Tony Gwynn really wasn't that productive of a player and didn't really make much of an impact because he hit a lot of singles. A single gets home in that scenario, gets home Steve Finley, and the game is tied or the Padres go out in front. So Tony Gwynn was always that threat. He comes up with sure. runners on first and second, batting mm -hmm. in the number three spot. You're saying, oh, shit. We might, we might as well just intentionally walk this guy because he's probably – I mean, he was such a great hitter that he was he's probably going to get a hit. But that probably between the 250 and a 350 hitter is only one time out of 10. One more time out of 10, he's deadly with right. a base hit. Right. You know, now with the, I mean, the numbers don't lie. I get what you're saying, but 70 to 80 RBIs is still 70 to 80 RBIs in the three spot, and that, that doesn't really cut it ever. <laughs> It does. Like even back then, that didn't right. cut it. That's fair. I, okay. If he was a number two hitter, granted, but he didn't want to hit second. But if you were a number two hitter, okay, absolutely. Like I'd pay that guy okay. a ton of money to be, you know, a number two hitter. Now number two hitter is the best hitter in the lineup. But okay. Um, anyway. No, no. Hold on. Now I'm looking it up on the computer right now. On the computer. On the computer device. On this on this device that I'm actually recording on as well, which is kind of cool. It's it's kind of creepy because I'm looking into the camera and I know it's recording and I know I'm talking to people, but at the same time I'm going on Baseball Reference. Okay, right. Hold on. So I'm going to prove analytical crowd and you wrong for a second. Okay, please do. 
I don't want to do it, but you know, sometimes, you know, dad has to step in. Um, so, ah, damn it. All right. You're right. A career high in RBIs, 119 in 1997. That's a lot. I hear you typing over there too. So apparently you're doing some research as well. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to trying to best. I don't me. want okay. you to pull the rug over our listeners. <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to. I'm looking at his numbers here quickly. I thought I did all the preparation I could for this show, and I apparently not. I'm looking at all the numbers. I'm trying to come up with something here. I'm trying to. I'm it's like grasping at straws. Okay, fine. All right. I, I get what you're saying. You're right. You're exactly right. I get. You know, there is a video out there though uh, of. Uh, you can stop looking now. I see what you're doing. <laughs> You've proven me wrong. You don't have to. Don't get me wrong. Looking. I had some really big, you know, good years. But you know, there's a video out bit. there. It came around. Came out around 1994, I think. Between there's a three-way conversation between Bob Costas, um, Tony Gwynn, and Ted Williams. Right? They were yeah. talking about hitting. You've probably seen it before. And Ted Williams. Guarantee if Tony Gwynn crowded the play a little more and did a little more guessing because Tony Gwynn admitted in this video that he didn't really guess all that much. Yeah, why would you Ted guess? They just, throw you, they just throw him fastball. Well, Tony Gwynn, what did you do hit it single in the five six hole? <laughs> he, <laughs> well, you think Greg Maddox, Maddox like, I'm not wasting any pitches, I'm gonna throw a ball three inches off the plate on the outside corner. It'll be called a strike, or Tony's going to hit it in the left field for a base hit. Now, let me ask you a question. What if our guy, by the way, we've nailed it on him. We absolutely nailed both of us. We nailed this player, his talent, Sal Freelich. What if he turns out to be like the next Tony Gwynn? You're going to be, uh, me certainly, but you're going to be out in the street dancing like you just won the World Series because you, you were right about him. What if he turns out you're making fun of Tony Gwynn for hitting it through the five six hole and going through? Because there wouldn't every be night. a five. You can't do that anymore with shifts. Wrong. Like, the shift is going away. But there, you can still move more, right? I mean, a shortstop can still plug that hole. There's no such thing as move more. What does that mean? You can still you can still shift. You just have a perimeter now. You can't be in shallow right field. But you could still. I mean, that that's what with Tony. If they had the shift, it would have killed him. Because he wasn't a rollover guy to second base very often, right? They would have like a right-handed pull hitter shift on him. Do you not um, like Tony Gwynn or something? No, I do. I do. I, I, I like him as a human. I just, um, I think, and today, I grew up in San Diego. And so Tony Gwynn was everything. And whatever Tony wanted, he got. That's why he hit third for the Padres. And they right. never okay. got anybody right. else to, to help. Yeah. Fine, fine, fine. I got it. Okay. I figured it out. Okay. I do like Kevin Brown a lot, though. You do like Kevin Brown, the pitcher. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Brown, the pitcher. Yeah, he said, "Hey, San Diego, get on my back. I'll take you to the promised land." He also said, so, "He was it? Oh no, it wasn't him. It was Carl Pavano. I think it was Carl Pavano, where he said, I'm not doing something for this organization.' When he was with the Yankees, and uh, Joe Torre looked at him and said, "Then what organization would you do it for?" Might have been Carl Pavano. Might have been Kevin Brown. I don't know. Both of them are really bad with the Yankees. My dad's a Yankees fan. For those who don't know, so yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not a he was not a fan of Kevin Brown. Or, um, oh, it was the same thing. Wherever I live, the team is uh, based on mediocrity. 
you know, like Colorado. It's like, eh, let's finish somewhere around 500. The fans will come out. San Diego wanted it so bad. You always have the avalanche. Never did. Hey, 78, hey, hey, um, Anthony Sorelli days until opening day, opening puck drop. Sorelli Sorelli wears number 71. But no, no, I really like Tony Wynn. I just, it was, um, he was, he's Mr. Padre, you know, and we just, right, well, let me ask very, you this. We okay. weren't very good. But, but you're saying, okay, you're saying he used to get whatever he wants. Okay. I mean, well, he uh, should. Let me pull up his, uh, one more time here. When he hit 370 in 90, 1987, and then, I don't know, 394 and 94, I guess, you know, you get a little, little leeway. Okay. Fair, fair enough, though. Where, if you, if you were the GM, and you are the manager. You're you're so mad at me right now. You're so stone faced. You are not a you are. I am I am I am on team. So the year man. he hit 17 home runs and drove in 120 was the year he went to a bigger back because uh, okay. Ted Williams told him to. All right, fair. What's wrong? What's wrong with taking instruction from Ted Williams? It took him like 15 years. That's why we're here doing this show every week because that <laughs> motherfucker. Work. We're here because that like, motherfucker. Hey man, get out of your element a little bit and drive in some runs. Well, he did. Now, Ted Williams predicted that Tony Gwynn would hit more home runs if he used the pointers. Yeah, that but he also Ted had 372 with 119 RBIs or whatever. That was his career year. Correct. So what I'm saying, but but that's yeah. so, but uh, Ted Williams predicted that. Okay, let me ask yeah. you this. I have to ask you this question. I've been teasing it for like 10 minutes. Since you don't want to bat him third, where would you bat him in the lineup? I'd bat him second, or if he wasn't, right. if he would have kept his body in shape, I would have batted him first. But some people say that if you bat him second, now, okay, was he the best hitter? Let's go back to the 98 Padres when they went to the World Series. Yeah. Was he the best hitter in that lineup every day? No. Who was? I would say Finley may have been. Caminiti. Okay. So then ultimately, because they say now, and I'm actually. Benito Santiago. Was he on the team then? I don't know if he was on the team then. He was my favorite catcher. um, Ultimately. I am. This is where I'm, you know, with the analytical crowd. Mm-hmm. I would have batted the best hitter second. You can't bat Tony Gwynn second if he's not the best hitter, if you don't consider him the best hitter. So, no, I would have batted him second, but his ego but he's not the best hitter on the team. Huh? He's not the best hitter on the team. No, well, that's like your opinion, man. You just, no, it's not my opinion. You just said Kevin. Eddie I would have batted him team. second. Not every number two hitter is the best hitter on the team. Uh, well, not every, but but you know what? Most times they should it's, be. It's trending that way, but I haven't bought into that one yet. Why not? I don't know. So I, wait a second. I, I, I can't agree with you on everything. All right. Um, so Tony Gwynn with uh, his mechanics, they were very simple. Yeah. Very simple. What is the one thing that, about his mechanics – that you liked best? Oh, his hand pass. So his okay. hand pass was really good. Um, he was really short to the ball. He was a knob to the ball guy. So if you listen to any of his like teaching stuff, which I would recommend, it's on um, you know YouTube or whatever. He's big on knob first, knob first. Well, what is knob first? Knob first means it leads the back elbow. So his short approach position was fantastic. Um, unfortunately the video quality back in the nineties was a little blurry, so we won't have great frame rates on the stuff we look at, but his hand path was by far the best 
palm up, palm down. That was his other big thing. Like your top, especially your top hand, you know, sometimes people's grip is off, but top hands got to be palm up and then you have to extend through the zone. So that's why, that's what made him the hitter he was. He had the hand path of um, any great player, you know, if you look at Vlad or whoever you want to look, even judge, you know, this year's hand path, like super short to the ball, good extension, barrel control. For Tony, it was a mindset. For, you know, there was no reason he couldn't really hit for more power. You, you know, he was in solid positions. He was probably a little bit more forward of center, or definitely centered with his with with his balance. You know, with his weight. And he, we'll see. He lifted through the swing. Well, if you lift through the swing, you're always going to hit more the top of the ball than the bottom of the ball. Versus the guy that sinks through the swing would be like a. I remember the first person I noticed that was was Jason Giambi. Um, he used to, his head would drop a ton during the swing, not during the stride, which most, most people do, but during the swing, he would drop. So for me, I'm like, I got Jason Giambi on my team. If I need a sack fly, this was late in his career when he was with the Rockies. He was kind of a pinch hitter because they didn't have a DH then, you know, and he played first once in a while, but it was like, dude, anytime I need a fly ball, this is the guy. He's not going to hit a ground ball. He does not have a ground ball swing because he's always below the center because he would drop so much. So, um, I don't know what we were talking about, but hand path, Tony Gwynn, by far his greatest attribute as a hitter. Okay. That's what made him so great. That's yeah, what makes everybody great. If you want to hit for a high average, you have to have a good hand path. You yeah. want to hit for power, there's other things you can add to your swing to get the ball in the air more. But hand, it all starts with hitting the barrel. You still got to hit the barrel. And he wasn't a huge guy. Right. So he couldn't cheat and just rely on – he wasn't Stanton who could just – hit a ball really hard and wherever it went, it was going to be a hit. Like he had to barrel it. Um, there was, you know, a, a big sense of importance on finding the barrel and using the other way because he wasn't going to be able to muscle a ball anywhere. Before we get to the mechanical breakdown, I want to ask you about another video that's out there. He was talking, Tony Gwynn was when he was the head coach at San Diego state university. He was talking to a bunch of campers about hitting and he was saying a lot of things that some coaches would say, you know, whatever amateur coaches would say and, and talk about, you know, with the chicken wing and mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the other thing are keeping the weight back when striding. And he was just talking about a lot of simple things, but those weren't the things that he used to do at the plate. In fact, we're going to see it here in a moment. He did yeah. none of that. Why was he, yeah. let's clear that up. Why was he in, and ex players seem to do this a lot. Why was he telling those kids in your opinion to do those type of mechanics and hit one way yet he was doing something that was completely opposite now mind you that he could use the defense of well it's because what i did was too complicated for those kids at that age but really when we're going to see it here in a moment his mechanics no, it, weren't really all that yeah. that um complicated at all no so number one you know tony was Tony was very simple when he, it wasn't just talking to kids like that. He would talk to, he would talk to the minor leaguers about hitting, you know, right. during the, whatever, during spring training, he would go down to minor league camp and talk to them about hitting. And he always said the same thing, be balanced in the stride have a very short, simple balance, 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 make sure the knob goes first and be palm up, palm down at contact. That's all he said. So that's what he thought about. He was arguably, you know, the best average hitter, in the history of the game, right? I mean, you got um, Rod Carew. I'm trying to think. I have a bat from Rod Carew, who swung a huge bat, by the way. It's like Ty a 35. Cobb. Ty Cobb, uh -huh. to your point. 
Ty Cobb. I mean, Rhodes. Right. So, I mean, but argue, I mean, this guy could hit. This guy could hit. You put a broomstick in his hand, he's going to find the center of something, a marble. <laughs> okay? Like, he could hit. He had amazing eye-pan coordination, bat to ball score, whatever. But that's what he thought about. How great is that to be a player? He's not making it up. Oh, Johnny, only 10. I think I should just tell me things. That's what he told everyone because that's what he thought about. He grabbed a bat in his hand. He's like, I'm going to take my knob first before the barrel, and I'm going to be palm up, palm down, and contact. Boom. That's what I think about. I just hit 350. But he never kept his weight back. That was never – he never did no, that. No, he was very centered. Yeah. So I don't know why he would tell people that. That's my thing. I mean yeah. – like, but this, see, that's where we get into the danger zone of feel versus real. Absolutely. Right. He was yeah. saying things and professing things that he felt, but he actually wasn't actually doing. And I, maybe that's why hitters who played at the major league level, some of the best hitters of all, maybe that's why they're not good coaches. Maybe that's why ex-players don't make good coaches because they were, they're talking about things that they felt that they think they were doing mechanically that they weren't actually doing. I think we just it's something out the, today. It's why the name of my dad's um, video, first video, was do we teach what we really see? Right. Like, here's what we see. Here's Willie Mays. Here's Ken Griffey. Here's Tony Gwynn was in there. I mean, yeah. he had all these big leaguers in there. And do why are we teaching players to chop down when and squish the bug when this is what they're doing? Like, am I missing something here? Like, right. video doesn't lie. And it's true. And then, you know, baseball, because kids were chopping down and they were squeezing. And then now it's different. You know, I tell players all the time, hey, let's try to do this. You know, let's get your hands up a little bit and try to finish lower. Like, essentially swing down and then i'll ask them what did what did that feel like and they'll be like i felt like i swung straight down like i'm chopping a ball off a tee and it would go directly into the mouth and then i show them on video and they're swinging up like 10 degrees and they're like i that just isn't what it feels like every day i go through that or vice versa they're chopping down and i'm telling them to swing up more so it's find a good coach find a good coach that knows stuff and knows how to use some kind of technology and figure out exactly what you're doing. You know, what is your top hand really doing? What is your bottom hand really doing? What is your elbow really doing? What is your back foot really doing? Um, because every single player I see is different, and I focus on different things with each player. And where you can get that good coaching is at EpsteinOnlineHitting.com. That's right. And the lab BCS. Yeah. That's it. Um, it funny. I, I had a player, uh, She. it was a softball girl, sent in a video the other night. Two nights ago. What was her McKenzie. name? Oh, McKenzie. Mackenzie. Mackenzie. Okay. And it was the first video, right? They just signed up and, hey, here's the video. And I'm like, actually, it was the second. They sent one in and then. Do they listen to the okay. podcast more importantly? Yeah. So they oh. send it in. Okay. And then I say, go. after you send in your first video, I'm like, look, in two or three days, I want you to send me a video doing your drills. I want to make sure you're not taking 500 incorrect drill swings, right? So very important. So a couple of days later, they send me some drills. And I'm like, God, that. That landscape looks familiar, like the way the grass is. It looked like there were some mountains in the background. It was at a school that looked. Anyway, the girl like lives right down the street. Had no idea I gave lessons here. I lived in Colorado. Okay. Wow. So you you never know. I don't know where that came from. What were we talking about? I was doing a plug. For, oh yeah, for, for the for you. So you never know who your neighbor's going to be. I guess that's the best way to put it. Could be Jim, well, but that's could a little creepy. Me. My parents' neighbor in Tampa, though. My parents' neighbor in Tampa right now. Uh, is Alex Fiedo's parents. For those who don't know Alex Fiedo, he's a right-handed pitcher for the Tigers. For my Florida listeners, Fiedo Friday. Hashtag Fiedo Friday. You might remember that. 
start he would start for Florida for the Gators on Friday. Uh, okay, that's where I know the name from more. I, uh, when I went over to their house, um, I play. I was walking with my mom, and I ran into the Fiedo parents, and I was playing with their dog for a little bit. Such a nice, you're such a nice son, Jim. Labradoodle. Yeah, you're a Labradoodle kind of guy. I'm a Golden Doodle kind of guy. I, I know you are. Yeah. All right, the um, best kind of doodle there is. Oh, I very much agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's get into the mechanical breakdown. Again, subscribe to the show, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. Great content breaking down the swing today. Mechanical Breakdown Series, Volume 35. Tony Gwynn, Episode 110. You can start at, I got to grab the phone, which is laying behind me. And uh, I'll let you just get started. And I'll I'll catch up. I'll follow Rock along and roll. As, as we go. Make sure you visit the YouTube page so you can actually see it. What's the YouTube page? I say Epstein, every week. The Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. On Very good. All right. Good. Very good. Now we're catching up. 100, 110 episodes in. Very good. Got it. Okay. Okay. Go Rock on. and roll. Here's Tony Gwynn. Um, this is cool. This is a, a we're going to look at a front view and we're going to look at a rear view. So, uh, again, I learned things here with Tony that I didn't know. Number one, let's check his timing. Nobody in Major League Baseball. Well, that's probably a very small percentage, maybe one or two guys stride this late. When does he start moving? He really doesn't lift his front foot until, boom, the ball is way back here. I mean, his heel's barely off the ground. The pitcher has his arm back, and it's just starting to come forward. Most people do this with their front foot nowadays when the pitcher um, breaks his hands right here. Okay, so that's pretty amazing, actually, how late he is because he's hitching his hands down when the ball's released. Okay, see that little hitch? Kind of Barry Bonds look, actually. His hands go down. I will also tell you that guys throw, you know, probably on average 8 to 10 miles an hour harder nowadays than they did then. Maybe that's why he could get away with it. Okay, just trying to find it. Um, But one of the things we look at is how hunched over he is. Okay, so he's very – and we don't see that anymore, do we? We don't see a big hunch. We see guys that are straight up and then get into this spine posture – later on let's see if i can put a number on that i don't know if i can but we're going to try just for fun so i'm going to go from his spine here so whatever 41 degrees from horizontal okay that's where he starts 40 degrees will make it even easier then as he swings he's okay so he starts at 40 sorry starts at 40 then we're going to take him to heel plant okay he's still at 40 at heel plant look how much he's he's stepped into the plate too Okay, so, I mean, that just tells you where he's going with the ball, right? He wants to go middle away, or he wants to go opposite field. Okay, so we still have 40. Now, as he comes through the swing, check this out. Because he's hunched so much, and this pitch is a little bit higher, okay? But I'm just going to draw a regular basic line here. Because he's hunched so much, watch how much his head and posture moves. Okay, I mean, this pitch is not high, right? It's right at the thighs. But now, look at his posture. Look at how much his head moved. That first line was the top of his head. What do you think the ball's doing when your head goes up? Right? When your head goes up, the ball goes down, you hit the top of it. Just the opposite of somebody that drops their head. So not only does his head go up, I mean, this would absolutely destroy coaches today. You have to keep your, your spine angle, right? We got to be, this isn't stance. This is launch to contact. We have this much spine angle. Okay. So now, what was it? 40 degrees, I think I said. Now it's, 
58, a difference of 19 degrees. And what part of the ball does he hit? It's the top of the ball. Okay. Why? Because he doesn't have a barrel drop, right? He's got great mechanics. And then he lifts, and then he's going to hit kind of a hard, what was it, a hard ground ball or a low line drive to right field. Okay. But that's the biggest thing I see from the front with him. I will also say that his vertical bat angle is excellent. Okay. Vertical bat angles in the 20s. Perfect. Like absolutely perfect. You'd be surprised how many kids and players, and by kids, I mean people under my age. (laughs) (laughs) Even like major 20 year olds, 25 year olds, you know, 15 year olds, whatever you want to have a hard time getting, especially left hand hitters, have a hard time with that number for sure. Okay. So now he's going to continue and. He talks about finishing high. Remember that in his speech? Make sure you finish high. Mm, not really. Okay. okay, it was double down the right field line. On the turf, baby. Okay, so I think, is this the same view? Yeah, they're playing in Toronto. That's not Toronto. So this is a different swing. I thought it was the same swing. I was hoping it was the same swing. This is a different swing. Okay, this is a beautiful swing, by the way. Okay, so here's one again. We can see his uh, very basic load. Do, do. What did Gwen talk about? Be balanced in the stride, right? Be balanced, be balanced, be balanced. Knob first, palm up, palm down. So I'm going to draw him. This is launch right here. I'm going to draw the middle of his head. Okay. Notice how it's maybe slightly behind his belt, slightly behind center. Most guys today are over their hip flexor. Okay. Most guys are back a little bit more. He's definitely back. And then from here as he launches, let's let's do the same thing we do with all our other players. Here's the top of his head. No, nope. here's the front of his front of his cap. Okay, so I usually give players about an inch here. They can bleed forward an inch, maybe an inch and a half. And then here's the top of his head. Okay, draw that little ninety degree box in there. I mean you can tell. Here's the dugout. All right, let's see what his what his head does. Comes up and out. When that happens, what do, what do we do? We lose our posture, okay? But his posture is like two over when he's striding. I mean, geez, what would have happened if I could have got a hold of Tony Gwynn nowadays? He may have hit 500 with 40, 40 jacks a year. I'll be honest. Like, just throwing that out. No, I'm just kidding. This guy is so talented. But that's a big difference. That's a big head movement as I go through there, okay? His head goes what? Up and forward. What do most guys today, what does their head do? It goes down and back, okay? Like, it's very different. All right, now from here, his hands are in a perfect position, right? His top hand is equal to, like, the middle of his ear. His front shoulder is in. Not a lot of hip separation, right? Like, his hips are – his chest is back here, so not a ton of torque, but he's got torque, right? His hips are definitely more open. And then as we go here, you know, the next frame, you can see his hips – you know, his shoulders kind of catch up to his hips right there. So now all of a sudden his his shoulders are there and his hips are just slightly in front. So he probably was a – 15 degree torque guy. So not a ton of power in that move, right? But not a lot of risk either. Okay. Like we have to sacrifice somewhere. But look at his hands, right? I mean, you get to this position. I know it's blurry, but here's the knob. This is the short approach position. Here's the elbow. Where's the bat? Right out, right over the shoulder. Okay. Where's his lead arm? His lead elbow is out in front of his body. I mean, this is just a perfect short approach position. Okay. I don't care. The greatest players in the game are going to get to here. And then the next frame. Is almost his approach. It's kind of blurry. Look at the knobs equal to his front elbow. The barrel is, is pretty level. I'm going right in the middle of the blur there. It's maybe slightly above his hands or equal to his hands. 
So what does that mean? He's not going to, he's not dumping his barrel. You know, he's not going to hit a lot of weak fly balls to the opposite field. And then he releases his bat to contact. Okay. He's probably palm up, palm down. I can't see because it's 1992 or whatever. <laughs> now this was probably mid nineties. Um, but you can see the blur of his bat. It's definitely going up through the ball. In fact, it's, it's, that's the plane. Is that the point of the pitch? Do I get, Oh yeah. Look at the point of the pitch. So I'm going to, I'm going to get wild here. If I can figure it out. Oh boy, this is going to be really tough. I'm going to change colors. Okay. So yellow is going to be the point of the pitch. Here's the point of the pitch. Okay. Notice his barrel come down to that line and then stays through it. And then he hits it. I mean, talk about staying on plane. He hits it on, there's the blur here. It's like parallel, but like one inch higher. Okay. That was his exit. So, I mean, that's a guy that's on plane. Okay. When does his barrel hit the yellow line? He's definitely swinging down back here. If I do like a little, I have a free hand tool here. Yeah. So if you know, his barrel is definitely kind of coming that way down and then he probably doesn't level out till about here and then it kind of comes up. So, I mean, that's a perfect swing plane. And is he back at contact? Yeah. His spine's back, right? Not a lot. But here's, you know, kind of his back. If I draw a line, what's wrong line? If I draw a line kind of parallel to his, his spine here, parallel to his back, it's back a couple degrees. His back foot is super high. His back knee looks great. His front leg is straight. Um, he's just more upright than most because he came up and out of that crouch. Um, what did, you know, his hero, like he saw himself in Rod Carew. Like that's who made sense to him. He, you heard it in a couple interviews that he did. That's a Rod Carew crew did you know he had a big crouch and tony probably copied it when he was a kid and then he came out of that crouch so again coming back here crouch and then up and out of it as he went to swing now what would happen if he just started there if he started upright would that allowed him to get to the bottom half of the ball a little bit easier nobody will know okay so very very important to to, to really make sure your stance and your at least your launch position when you get to launch you know, you don't want that head to be. That was one thing he preached, right? Make sure you don't move your head. <laughs> Make sure you don't move your head throughout the swing. And every, really every swing that I saw, except for one that was maybe down and away, his head moved up and forward. Okay. So maybe that's why he liked the pitch outside and down so much was because he, he could hunch over, you know, with his, with his upper body a lot more. Because if you think about it, if I go back to the front view here, when you keep your spine, you know, that tilted in, typically your vertical bat angle is perpendicular to your spine. So that means his vertical bat angle would be like that. Well, that would be impossible. He would slice everything. So I'm thinking even on outside pitches, he had to come up, right? So if I draw those two lines again, right at contact, now we look at his spine air and then here's his bat right about here. See how close to perpendicular those are. But before if we went to at launch, if we were to set that up, if he didn't make an adjustment, right? Switching colors again, because I can. So here's his initial perpendicular, there's spine, and then I go perpendicular to that. You can see that's where his bat would have been. And that he wouldn't have been successful with that. So, um, you know, a posture change, I bet would have made a really big difference for him. And one other thing we can learn from Tony Gwynn, on a life 
lifelong, which they should have made more of an example out of this. Tobacco is really bad for you. Tobacco kills. So those of you kids that are out there think dip's cool and having a chew is really cool. It's not cool, man. It'll ruin your life. Public service announcement over. They're playing in Houston at the Astrodome, by the way. I don't think so. I think so. That's what I thought originally. Yeah. Well, how, do you, how, do you, how do you think that originally right. and then that's say a, not think so? That's the old Astros uniform. But that's a left-handed first baseman. Is that Berkman? I don't know. That's Houston, though. I have a funny um, The orange seats. Yeah, that's orange, an Astros uniform. You're right. The orange seats, too. The, there are orange seats yeah. in the Astrodome. No. Yes. Not the second view. The that's side view. That's a different view. swing. Anyway. I hope we learned a breakdown. Tony Gwynn. Mechanical breakdown over. Yeah, it's over. I'm serious about the chew, by the way. Yeah, I have, I have friends I grew up with that chew a lot, and they're battling right now. And it's just, I think I told the story my first day of varsity baseball, my freshman year of high school, and I'm I'm a catcher, and I think I'm pretty cool because the upperclassmen took me in, and I, I'm having a chew, and I'm spitting on the ground, and the head coach is uh, Tip Lefever, whose brother was Jim Lefever. I'm a total baseball guy, right? Yeah. And he's like, "Yep, what do you got in your mouth there, buddy? I was like, I got a chew coach. He was like, wow, right on, man. That's pretty cool. Let me show you what that happens, what happens in 30 years or 20 years. And he took out his mouth. He took out his bottom teeth, which were all rotted out. It was all fake. And he opened his mouth and it was all mesh underneath. It was like mesh and gums. And I never had to chew after that again. Thank you, Tip Fever. That's all I have to say. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. See, we, you and I, look at my teeth. See, yeah, I have nice the girls teeth. don't know. No, the girls don't like it. Women, as the as and, you get and, older, and also girls don't chew either. I haven't run into that, but don't you know? It's bad for you. <laughs> as you get older, young fellows listening, women like good teeth. True. They don't like dip stuck in the bottom. No. There. No, they good like look. good teeth. Take it from me. They like good teeth. Jim knows he's on the dating scene. Jim knows. Jimbo knows. Start a new. That should be a new segment of the show. Yeah, I like that. Jim knows. All right, good, great job as always. Mechanical breakdown series, volume thirty-five. Check it out on the YouTube page, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast YouTube page. Please do. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of money worth content worth there. Mm-hmm. Got what I said. Heard what I said. There's a lot of value in that free YouTube link. Yeah. There is. As you were doing that mechanical breakdown, by the way, I got an email. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> See, smoking also coughing. I don't. I've never smoked in my life, but you know, <coughs> lungs, lungs, tobacco, more tobacco. Mm. But as a, as you were doing that breakdown, I got an email. Uh, from a notification from the YouTube from Marlboro and no, Copenhagen from the, that from the, their, from the YouTube from the YouTube page saying that we had we just picked up another subscriber. How about that? So, so slowly but surely we're building. Now I don't understand it because we have a great listener base on the audio side. I don't understand it. 
Hey, it's easier. The audio is easier to listen to, but if you really want to learn, learn, and you want to watch um, us something do the show. new about your swing that could help, you know, the visual is really important. And why wouldn't you want to watch us do the show anyway? Yeah. Facial expressions. Yes, the best. Next week, uh, this is a perfect segue. This week's episode, Tony Gwynn, one of the greatest contact hitters of all time. Perfect segue into next week. Contact, but you're not hitting for power. Why is that? What the Ooh. heck's going on? Oh my God. What's the. Uh, I can't figure it out. No. We'll talk about it next week. Next week episode. One of, the, one, of my one of my favorite quotes is from like 10 to 12 year olds when I start working with them. And they're big bat draggers and, you know, hand flippers, which, you know, when you flip your wrist, like that creates some energy. So yeah. I, I get them squaring up balls, right? You know, like we work and do the contact drill and work palm up, palm down, like Tony said, and short to it, long through it kind of stuff, right? And then like two months later, it's like, oh, little Johnny is, he's like getting two hits a game. He's squaring everything up. Like, but he's, he's not hitting any doubles. Like, he's just hitting singles. What is he hitting? He's hitting like 700. Okay, well, he weighs 72 pounds. Let's give it time. Let's give it time. And then they get a little older, and it's like, now they're 13 or 14. God, he hits balls so hard, but they're right at outfielders. Like, they don't fall in, and then they, he can't get it over their head. Oh, because he's 110 pounds now. Like, it's just a process, people. Like, squaring up the ball on a 10 to 25 degree trajectory, you're going to be just fine. Now you just got to consume 5,000 calories a day and hit the gym. You're going to be right. awesome. Well, that's next week before, because Epps going into, um, which is great. You're going, but you're going into the topic of next week and you're taking the material away from next week. Okay. So we just we, skip next week. We'll see you guys in two weeks. We need to save some of that. Okay. Sorry, next week. Just edit that out. Edit it out. I'm not editing it out. That's too much oh, work. I'm not, I'm not editing that out. But I'm just saying we got to pump the brakes, okay? Next week, contact, but no power. Okay. I don't know what you're shushing me for. I'm the one I'm telling you. myself. It's myself. Yeah, you got you to. Done. No more. You have to listen to next week's show if you want information. Um, do you have any? Well, you already kind of did the promos, but you can do it one more time. For the lab, Epstein Online Tuning Academy. Uh, what else you got going on there? Uh, get drafted by the Brewers so I can see your swing. You know, yeah. any of those, any of those things, you'll get to hang out with me. Are the Brewers uh, going to make the postseason? By the way, man, the Cardinals are hot, and the wild card doesn't look great. So they're too back uh, yeah, as we I, speak I, today. What's that? They're too back as we speak today. Yeah, no, they're 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 due to get hot. They're due to get hot. Are you and, sure? And okay. Card, yeah, and the cards, the Cardinals are going to. Who go are they going to knock off? Gonna, Some yeah. team can't make. Uh, Mm, I'm thinking run? like uh, they're going to make a run probably in about two weeks. Okay, but who are they going to knock After off? Labor Day. Who are they going to knock out of the postseason picture? Cardinals. That's, no, that's, really that's their not happening. Bet. The Cardinals are, are very good. That's not happening. But Jim, you're asking me for my opinion, and that's what I'm giving you. <laughs> and I know I'm just saying that it's just not – it's it's not pl – I'm asking for a plausible opinion, not, not you know, not your, not your organization's head head rival. Game gonna happen that's the only that's the only way they get in really no what is their wild true. card games back? what about the no? padres what about the phillies you can't knock the, one of those two teams off padres are, maybe the padres what about the phillies Ooh, phillies are hot too they are hot but they've got some tough games coming up yeah they'll pull out yeah maybe and no, i'm you guys they're, they're they're not worried about wild card that's all cardinals that's your focus 
All right, we're an hour in. Let's get out of here. Uh, don't forget to listen to Cross Functionality. This Wednesday, Cassie and I, Cassie Riley Bosha and I talk about her first part of her senior year at the University of Alabama on the way to a national championship. So subscribe to that. Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Softball Strength Academy YouTube page to watch and to listen to Cross Functionality, the show where baseball, softball, and everything in between all intersects. Male, female, baseball, softball, players former yeah listen to that such a good name too ours is lame nice job look how much better you get in time i know yeah cross functionality this is the lab epstein hitting podcast 111 episode 111 next week thanks for listening thanks for watching subscribe to the youtube page and we'll talk to you next week take care